This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear the go-go's on the stereo. So, next time you're in the Chicago area, maybe on vacation, if you like arcades, you'll fall head over heels with the Underground Retrocade. 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And this is the No Quarter Podcast, where we talk about classic video arcade games. We do. We talk about them. We play them. How are you, Carrington? I'm amazing. Haven't you heard? I hear it every time that I come on the air with you, yes. (laughs) I got an email from one of our listeners, Ultramagnus. We weren't actually talking about the show in particular, uh, but he just mentions that how could you possibly be amazing or excellent every single game? It's just or every single week. It's just not fair. That's said, part of what makes me amazing. <laughs> I said, well, it's he's just that cheerful Canadian guy. I think it's genetic. It's part of like having awesome maple syrup and hockey. Awesome maple syrup and hockey. That sounds fantastic. Tim Horton just down the street. Ooh, you know my country so well. <laughs> Actually, my country, well, my city anyway, is full of snow, 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 snow. We got a little bit last night, but uh, mostly it's just been really, really darn cold here. I'm tired of it. And we're recording later than usual because I lost power. There was no power in Carrington Land. And all the Who's were sad. (laughs) They they were indeed. So let's talk feedback. People have fed back to us, haven't they? Feed us, Carrington. Feed us some back. me, Me first? Okay. We got good stuff on Twitter. Ten Pence Arcade, who I guess we're going to just talk about in uh, every episode now. Those guys. He <laughs> pointed out a few more button-only games, if you recall, Mr. McGinnis. Uh, last week, we were talking about games that use only buttons, and particularly games that use only one button. Our fellow podcasters over at Ten Pence actually came up with one. Star Trigon uses only one button. He says it's sort of a follow-up to Mr. Driller. I have never heard of that game before i think they're making it up we got a lot of those actually because you, you'd mentioned hey some one button games but what we got was buttons only which is fine mm-hmm. i don't know that there are actually very many one button only games well they'd also mentioned a couple that we had i think we had said in the show like the asteroids and midway space invaders but also said track and field oh yeah uh which is a button only game so that's another good choice but they did come up with the one one button game so Hooray, that's cool. And also a bunch of people on Twitter mocked me. Oh, how they mocked me for making fun of Ralph in Rampage. Remember when we played Rampage? I was like, why would anybody play Ralph? What is up with Ralph existing even? I still think it's a silly character. So the thread was kicked off by Dustin Favor, who wrote, Although I was horribly offended that you threw Ralph under the bus in the Rampage episode. Ralph is awesome. But then you pointed out that that comment got us an interview. Well, got you an interview with the game designer, Brian Collins. So there. I did. And then he went and got all his friends and they laughed at you. <laughs> Literally. And he included a bunch of people in our Let them laugh so long as they listen. And he mocked you. And it was it was such a good afternoon for me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I'm totally I'm totally okay with that. That's good because that's probably never going to go away any more than ghosts and goblins and elevator bubbles. action and bubbles and all the other ones that I hate. So oh, you're so wrong about ghosts Shut and up. goblins stop, and stop, elevator stop, action. Stop. You don't know what you're talking I you I don't and yet still I say elevator action is awesome whatever 
email. Uh, Sean Courtney, he wrote us to say, hello there, guys. Great show as always. And see, that's the way you get your, your letter <laughs> read on the air. You start off by praising us. I like that. I like that in an email. So anyway, he says, regarding Krull, I've never had a chance to play the arcade game, but I remember seeing it on Starcade back in the day and thought it was cool. Now, on the show, it was mentioned that Krull was ported to the Atari 2600. Well, yes and no. Yes, there is a Krull game on the Atari 2600, but no, it's nothing like the arcade game it's essentially a completely different game i never saw the movie what's up with these people that never saw the movie the movie's so awesome don't listen to mike about the it's movie. horrible horrible movie. <laughs> anyway, well no no, no. <laughs> it's it's actually it's it's a so bad it's good movie i mean you're, you're all wrong you're wrong about ralph you're wrong about crawl wrong about everything <laughs> you should watch you should do do a, do a marathon of of crawl alternating with star wars holiday special and, and no it's I, to me you alternate crawl with hawk the slayer oh yeah like see hawk yeah. the slayer Everyone else thinks it's terrible. I think you're all wrong. It's awesome. Krull's also awesome. Like the third Beastmaster movie. <laughs> or the first Beastmaster movie. <laughs> well, I like the um, one where he goes to Los Angeles. And... What? Yeah. Okay, I haven't even seen that one. <laughs> yep. Oh, my goodness. Beastmaster goes to Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> Pretty so anyway, much. Back to, back to Sean's email. He says, regarding the 2600 version, yes, it's essentially a completely different game. I never saw the movie, so I don't really get all the references. But I do know that there's a screen in which you're in the spider web. Aha. So that's better than the arcade game, at least referencing the film. He also says, I noticed what a different game it was back when it first came out. My next door neighbor showed it to me. Remember how everything in the 2600 game was completely different from the arcade game. Nothing in common at all. Yes, a glaive, I love to say glaive, was involved, even though my best friend from childhood refused to call it anything but a crawl stick. And as much as last week, I love saying glaive over and over again, I think I'm going to say crawl stick from now on because that's awesome. <laughs> So anyway, he also wrote a bunch of stuff about the Intellivision, about how it's got, it's nice, has, the sprites are too big, so he's sticking with Atari. I'm going to leave that for the Intellivision areas to talk about. <laughs> so, but, but here's a bit at the end of his email. It's worth bringing up because it's arcade oriented. He says, my problem with the X-Arcade joystick, it's for lefties, like pretty much all modern controllers. Seems to me that back in the day, all the games I played for were, were for right-handed folks. Joystick on the right, buttons on the left. The exceptions being the Nintendo games, Shaking Fist at Donkey Kong <laughs> and Galaga, what happened over the years that dictated that everything now be left-handed? That's a really good question, I thought. It, it got me thinking about it because it's occurred to me a few times over the years where I would think, wasn't it the case that I used to play games with the other hand? Now, you, Mike, are wired wrong. When the aliens reassembled you, they made you left-handed. So do you find it's better or worse the way the, the joysticks are normally set up nowadays for you? I don't really notice. I yeah. Most of the games like Pac-Man and stuff, either it's the joystick is in the middle and and you can play with either hand, or the games are simplistic enough that you have matching sets of buttons on either side so that you can switch back and forth. You know, I think Defender is like that, and I know a bunch of other games. I can't I can't really think of any stand-up cabinets that I played a bunch of that had the stick on the right and buttons in the middle or on the left. So for me, I find that joystick on the right, buttons on the left, is I consider a right-handed setup. Or it could just be that that's what I'm used to now. But I thought it was a good idea. I'd love to hear from, if anybody knows, like, was it the case that the buttons did a sort of a major switch? Am, am I right? And is Sean right in remembering that it used to be differently? And also, do people prefer one over the other? Or 
or what have you. Just I, I anyway, I think it's a neat topic. Maybe it changed with the fighting games where you had to do button combinations, which would require I think more manual dexterity with your fingers, and you can just move the stick with your left hand. And you know, if you're right-handed, you tend to be obviously more dexterous with your the, the fingers in your right hand. Mm-hmm. Because it definitely feels to me that it'd be more natural, like for Sean, joystick on the right, buttons on the left. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I do. I play a lot of a lot of um, Gravatar now. It's just buttons, 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 buttons. You right-handed people are wrong about everything. So <laughs> it could be. And you'd think maybe last week when I was talking about games that use only buttons, I would mention the one that's five feet behind me, <laughs> Gravatar. <laughs> but no, so I'll bring that up this week. But no. So let's see more email. We got a we got an email from a new listener or a longtime listener. He says John Fulmer. Thanks for writing in, John. Short email. It just says longtime listener. Love the show. Uh, you may have thought of this one, but you didn't mention it. Konami's track and field uses three buttons and no joystick i've always played it two-handed but you could certainly be played with one hand keep up the great shows and well our 10 pence i'm going to say buddies but really i mean rivals <laughs> like mm. mentioned track and field as well i'm pretty sure that john's email came in first so john wins the internet so there ha huh. we also get email from keith smith it's 900 pages long, so I'll just read bits of it, but it's really, really good, so I want to bring it up. He says, howdy, I just listened to your Krull show and had a few notes, and he does. He organizes them into notes with headings and stuff. He is much more organized than me. Games with buttons. Yes, there was at least one game that used a single button for its control, so he's breaking out the actual answer to this. He came up with Konami Centuri's Badlands, which is an Old West-themed laser disc game, another game I was unaware of, but I checked his work, went online, and I looked at the control panel and it is indeed basically one big round fire button in the middle so it is a single button game nice as for games with only buttons there were a number during the 1970s and early 80s such as gremlins blockade and the follow-up hustle and co-motion midway's game atron's uh space zap and titles crazy balloon which we forgot to mention again he even says i'm assuming you didn't mention this one again because you already mentioned it back when you first talked about this issue if i recall you discussed the whole buttons only thing a week after the crazy balloon podcast and totally forgot about crazy balloon so here we have Basically forgotten it again. It seems to be the game we always forget. <laughs> Poor Crazy Balloon. I actually really liked it, but I guess it just never comes to mind. I don't know. To continue with Keith's email, he says, The first game I think of when I think of all button games is Cinematronics Space Wars, which had 15 of them. 20 if you count both players. Only five were used in the actual game, but it also had a 10-button panel to select the game options. Caleb calls it a keypad, so you could argue that they were keys, not buttons. Uh, Space Wars is actually a very influential and popular game. I, well, I'm very well aware of Space Wars, which is awesome. He says, first vector game, number one game for 1978, etc. If you want to read more, he did a post on the game, and we will have a link to his uh, his uh, site and this post. He's uh, the All in Color for a Quarter uh, blogger that oh, yeah. we have linked to before. I like that site very, very much. As do I. Yeah, so that's, a, in fact, I think Space Wars might be one of the ones I mentioned the email when I wrote back to the original writer. Or maybe it's one, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I thought of it, even though I probably didn't. <laughs> and then he has other notes. He says, bogus Pac-Man score. Remember last week we were talking about how uh, in that newsletter, some <laughs> yeah. Pac-Man score, like a billion <laughs> times more you could actually get. He says it wasn't a typo, it was fraud. <laughs> like, and Which is pretty much what I was assuming, but I was trying to be nice about it and say it was a typo. Well, the reason I bring this up is he talks about the, like back in the day, the, the faking of high scores. Now, you know, kids are going to do that and people do that, whatever. But he drew my attention, well, our attention, I don't know if you read it, but to a documentary called The Perfect Fraudman, which he says is an oddball piece of deep arcade geekdom that's 
definitely worth checking out. And in the that documentary, he says someone claimed that some of the phony Pac-Man scores were just examples of multiple games being added together by people who didn't know better. I'm also what? kind of dubious about that. Yeah. No. So I went looking at that. Well, I think he's right. The reality is just people were lying about their scores. <laughs> so I, mm. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm with him on this one. That just it's fraud. People are lying. So I think Keith nailed it. But this perfect fraudman. Have you heard of this before? Mike? No, this is news to me. Okay, I'm going to have a link in the show notes, so you can go to our show notes at monsterfeet.com slash no quarter. Oh, as soon as the show is posted. <laughs> and, oh, I got to post the show, too. And you should watch it. It's available online. So it's by Dwayne Richard. Dwayne, quote, Nibbler Richard. One oh, of the guys yeah, with, okay. a, with a middle name, which makes him sound like a mob dude. Dwayne the Knife Man Richard. It's this relatively angry documentary calling out what happened with the King of Kong and the Twin Galaxy things and oh, I have who was in on what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so there's multiple cuts, though. Dwayne, in a forum that I found, which I can link to, he claimed that in, well, he, in the forum, he claims that the perfect fraudman was an angry cut made for anyone who knows me. And another version of the movie called The King of Khan is the cut for the general public. Yeah, that's the one that I've seen. Exactly. So that's why I thought maybe you would have known at first. So he's got an official... YouTube site. So it is available to see online and I'll link to that. So it doesn't seem to be like a stolen one. It seems to be his site. But the thing is, he's saying that the King of Khan is the, the less angry cut, but it's posted online under its full title, which is the King of Kong or Khan or why Billy Mitchell sucks and twin galaxy sucks and Walter day sucks. Like that's the official name of the less angry version of this movie. Wow. So I like a documentary that takes a stance, but Holy cow. So, if people are interested, then we'll have a link in the show notes. It has both the supposedly less angry one and the very long, very angry one. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was a great email. And he also talks in the end a little bit about Matt Householder and Chris Krubel, who we mentioned last week had made Krull, but didn't seem to do anything else. Keith points out that they actually worked, before coming to Gottlieb, both of them had worked at a company called GDI. And they had done some tweaks on other games and worked on some things that then later didn't necessarily didn't get released, but did point out that they had done more in the industry, but it's sort of that this was the only game they worked on that fully got released. We also get email from one of our favorite listeners, Quinn Dunkey, who writes <laughs> the funniest emails ever. She's ever her own podcast and just reads her own letters. It's awesome. It opens, hey, you clowns. <laughs> See, that's another way to get your email read. So she says, just getting caught up here on the Snapjack and Krull episodes. Great stuff as always. I was very excited about my second banning, gunning for the hat trick now. So Shouldn't be a problem, out. Quinn. <laughs> with, with Mike involved, getting banned is never a problem. Caring What's-His-Face mentioned wanting a svelte MAME setup for his condo. My game room is very small indeed, and I've been very happy with the setup. And uh, so she gives us a link to her... Uh, main cab which i think we linked to before but it is so good and it's such a neat and different build that we will throw a link to it or i will throw a link to it in the show notes again then she says also there's talk of front ends for mame on the mac that's a giant pain in the ass yeah but i managed to set up advanced mame on uh, sorry advanced menu on my mini it's a relatively powerful and lightweight as front ends go but the documentation is like a kick in the spleen from a rabbit horse i spent hours figuring out how to make it play nice. If anyone wants my config files for it, let me know. Nobody should suffer as I have suffered. It's all joystick controlled, no mouse or keyboard. The machine boots directly into it and relaunches after a game quits or if anything crashes. Getting a Mac to do it all was highly non-trivial, but I'm happy to explain it to anyone. Now, I'm super interested, so I'm going to write to her. We also have a link to her One Girl, One Laptop productions, so over at quindunkey.com if anybody else wants to reach out and get that info. And if someone 
as sort of skilled at this as her says it's highly non-trivial, then it's highly non-trivial. I'm happily going to take all the advice she wants to give. So, okay, so that's all the email I think that we've got. We got a bunch of other smaller ones, but I'll just write back to them directly. Did we get anything on Facebook? Got a couple of interesting things. I'm interested in interesting things. No, you're not. <laughs> a message from Ken Scott. He said, uh, "Enjoy the cruel episode." Always a great dynamic when Carrington likes a game that Mike doesn't. I know you've also had several episodes where you both like the game or both hate the game, but I'm trying to recall if you've ever reviewed a game that Mike likes but Carrington hates. Mike doesn't like any games. Well, that's so. what I told him. I said I'm kind of a dour fellow who dislikes pretty much everything and complains endlessly. So No, there must be ones that you liked that I didn't. I think there were one or two, and, and I, listeners will know. I sort of liked them and you didn't. There's definitely been games that I've liked that you haven't. Oh, yes. But my threshold for enjoying an arcade game might be a little lower than yours. <laughs> he also writes, also been curious why all the high scores seem to be either from the 80s or the 2000s. Didn't anyone get high scores in the 1990s? Keep up the good work, Ken Scott. Hmm. It's an interesting question. I was thinking about that today, and I think it's because most of the arcades, especially the ones that had the games that we played, kind of went away in the 80s. and In the 90s, the arcades either closed or they became, you know, fighter game arcades. We don't hmm. talk about those. And then... That's a good point. In the 2000s, now we've got this whole the King of Kong and, and the, the retro revival, and uh, people are becoming interested in, in beating these old scores again. Yeah, plus we've been talking about a lot of relatively obscure games. I think you're right that those are the sorts, like if you're looking to get a high score on an original cabinet, not like something through MAME, it's probably hard to find one of those. So those scores are generally standing from the 80s because who can find the machine in the first place? And it could be also that some games, people just sort of master them, get the high score, hit a kill screen or whatever in the 80s. And so you can't get a better score than that. And the other ones that people are interested in, they probably kept coming at. And there probably were new high scores in the 90s, but they have been surpassed by newer high scores. And we really only give the, as of today, what's the highest high score? We had a few people write in with more uh, just buttons games. Dan Boris suggests Asteroids, Deluxe Asteroids, Space Invaders, Astro Blaster, Astro Fighter, and Space Zap. Just off the top of my head. Astro Blaster. I hadn't thought of that one. Good one. Dan Boris agrees with you about this horrible, yes, horrible way to movie go, Dan. called Dan. Checks in the mail. He said, uh, I really like it. It's a guilty pleasure for me. It's also notable for the early appearances of Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane. As for the game, I played it in the arcades back in the day and more recently on MAME. It's an okay game, which I think is kind of what we said, but not one we want, not one I play a lot. Mm. I do like the sound effects. They're very different from a lot of the other games at the time. And I think that's most of the interesting stuff on Facebook. Uh, we did mention last week that there were a few pinball tables of Kroll that were, I, I guess, prototype. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think 10 of them. Nick Lombardo writes, after talking to the guys at the Pinball Hall of Fame in Las Vegas, they have confirmed to me that Tim Arnold does indeed have a Kroll pinball. One of the workers told me that he really wants to get it on the floor along with Atari Roadrunner prototype pinball machine. I'm still not a fan of pinball. Maybe I can be won over. Maybe I have to go to a place like the pinball museums or whatever and sort of just dive in and embrace it. Maybe I'll come out the other end and love pinball. Or maybe I'll just continue to suck and, and not like it. <laughs> I can like things I'm bad at. Look at look at the scores of a lot of our episodes. <laughs> That's true, yes. A couple of news items, I guess, if you want to call it that. We should make a correction to the promotion that we mentioned at the Underground Retrocade. <laughs> Did you make up that promotion? Uh, it's just a complete <laughs> lie. Totally false. Not going to happen. A bunch of people showed up looking for half an hour. Looking for free play and didn't get it. We apologize to our sponsor. <laughs> I'll be uh, burned at the stake, I'm sure. 
Scott reminds us that the 30 minutes on the 30 minutes of free play promo, rather than just the first correct guess, we're giving a free play to every correct guess. That's crazy. Just be sure to message us privately once the cat's out of the bag, either by the podcast being released or someone naming the game publicly. No further free passes will be awarded. So I guess if you wanted to just be the only person that got 30 free minutes, you send him the correct answer and then give it away before anybody else does. I think they actually play our podcast over the stereo at the location. So what you got to do is just show up when we publish on a Monday and then just walk in and say, I'm here to buy a card, but not yet. I want to wait to the end of the show. <laughs> I'm just going to go hang out over there for a few minutes. And then walk around and listen to all the games they have and see what sounds familiar. <laughs> but that's actually a pretty amazing promo. I, I, I thought it was nice that they'd give it away to one person. In fact, they'll give it away to everybody. Plus the whole beat our scores and get a free pop. And let's face it, beating our scores can't be that hard. Um, that's pretty nice. He's being very swell to our listeners. Yeah, I think he's probably giving away cases of pop by at this point. <laughs> no doubt. Um, in fact, he he reshared our crawl post uh, over on the, the Underground Retrocade, and there were a bunch of people that were lined up saying, yep, I already got a higher score. <laughs> First time through. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Oh, um, our scores are so bad. Just ask Atari Age. <laughs> right. Also, um, last year, I I'd mentioned that we'd seen a, a – We'd seen a trailer for uh, Richie Knuckles' forthcoming uh, King of Arcade documentary where he uh, records himself going around and rescuing cool and awesome arcade stuff and shows you how awesome he is. Really? Uh, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> he has released a second trailer uh, for the film, which I guess is due out here in March. It's kind of cool. Check it out on, on his Facebook page. We'll have a link for you. Nice. Yeah. And now that we've talked for more than half an hour um, – Carrington. That's the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> See you, everybody. We did one show that was like 48 minutes of news and 16 minutes of gameplay or something. I think we can uh, beat that record. I think we should, yes. Okay, so um, we should pause for a second. This is everyone's last opportunity to get a free half an hour at the Underground Retrocade. We are about to name the show. <laughs> I will insert some Jeopardy, uh, Jeopardy music as appropriate. Excellent. <laughs> so this week's game is, of course, Kangaroo. There's a brand new video game that's really turning heads. Atari's Kangaroo. More family fun than a barrel of monkeys. Kangaroo is a great character game that appeals to people of all ages. The basic gameplay can be easily learned by children who are delighted by the appealing characters, the calliope sound effects, and the theme of the game. For players who want a real challenge, Kangaroo provides strategy options that will test the skill of the most sophisticated player. When you want a pouch full of profit, don't monkey around. Stick with the leader, Atari, and leap at the chance to have a kangaroo in your corner. Yes, Kangaroo, the 1982 arcade game by Sun Electronics. It was um, developed by Sun and manufactured and distributed by Atari, and it's... Well, basically, it's a Donkey Kong um, slash Popeye mix-up. That's what most people say online as well. For me, the first game that came to mind wasn't Donkey Kong. It was a game we've discussed already in a previous episode. It was Puyan. For the whole, like, mama's got to save her kidnapped baby. Thematically, it seemed Puyan-y to me. But in gameplay, you're right. It's much more platformer. It's a Donkey Kong Popeye sort sort of game that way, I guess. Sure. That's what I got to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. It's been a great week. (laughs) So there are, um, the game goes in stages, and I think the stages are out of order. I think that they were released 
wrong and it's a mistake and I'm calling it out now. Um, cause there's four stages that then supposedly repeat. I'll give you a hint of my score. <laughs> I'm going to make a lot of people get a lot of free pop this, this time. <laughs> so, uh, first stage, like, it, and like a lot of them, it's sort of taking place amongst trees. You're up in the trees and there's monkeys and you're a kangaroo on the branches of the trees and you've got boxing gloves on and yet you're climbing ladders it's kind of a bit of a mess thematically to be honest so first level you're climbing trees uh you're fighting the monkeys and you're trying to rescue your kangaroo baby those are called what joey's you're trying to rescue your joey at the top joey's up in a cage and you can tell joey the joey's been kidnapped because it's blindfolded which i thought was you know (laughs) graphically a good way to remind you that's why it's up there so that was good uh level two is basically more of the same but with uh more platforms rather than just the the branches and ladders uh it's also the first appearance of the big pink ape which we'll talk about later i guess level three is then a different level where the cage is on the top of sort of a monkey a pile of monkeys like a totem pole of monkeys and you punch out the bottom monkeys to lower the cage and then you save the joey and then level four is kind of okay we're going back to the platforms and ladders and then it repeats and it makes no sense to me that level three isn't the last level because that's the true saving level it's the one that's different than the rest of them it really felt like that should have been the final level well if you play it properly carrington and you can actually get through more than one round of all four levels (laughs) you can sort of play it so that you know the the fourth level is actually you know the first level the second third and then you sort of imagine in your head that that's the fourth level that's my favorite place to imagine stuff and yet still it feels like it's out of order to me yeah, if you if you can't get through there, then it is going to seem like it's out of order. Ha! <laughs> 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 the mocking begins. I see. <laughs> yeah, so so you're the, you're you're the kangaroo, I guess. Um, yes, I, I am. I, well, I, you play the kangaroo, and I don't know if they get, if they've given the kangaroo a name. I didn't notice that or not. Nope. Um, which I think is which is a silly thing because by the time you're putting out games in '82, and you have um, Nintendo, etc making big bank with characters that are named that will go on to have whole, you know, games that they're based on whole franchises and TV shows and all of that. You think they would have tried to make this a stronger character with a name and and all that, but they did not. Hmm. So she starts on the lower left of the first level and you kind of hop your way across. And as you're doing this, these monkeys descend down the tree as Carrington said, they're pink monkeys. So you can punch pink monkeys and when they get down to your level, they throw an apple at you. And I you... cannot make any jokes that are going to leave us our E rating. <laughs> Just let it go. I'm letting it go. Then uh, the, the monkeys will throw apples at you and you... apples. Yes. That's what monkeys throw. Yes. Apples. <laughs> Not poo, but, <laughs> but apples again, like what? Okay. Um, so you can either jump over the apples or you can try to make it to the ladder up to the next level before the monkey can, the monkey sort of, he'll come down a level and start, moving towards you and then set up into like a throw so you can see it coming. Yeah. It's like a baseball um, pitch. Right. And it's you can either try subtle. to get to the ladder and up before the monkey throws. Cause the, the monkeys don't come back up the tree or up the ladder. Once they come down, they scoot across and they're on more mm-hmm. keep coming down though. So it doesn't really matter. And then you cross back to the left and then up again and then across to the right. And on the, uh, on, on the level below the level where you get, get your Joey, there's a bell hanging. And if you, hit the bell, uh, more fruit will appear because as you are making your way up, there are various random fruits. Some ones at the top of the level and a couple are hanging down from this weird tree structure. And um, you can hit the bell and more will appear and you can 
make your way back, I guess, if you want to and grab more fruit that way. It took me ages to figure out that hitting the bell replenishes the fruit. Like it wasn't really obvious to me for some reason. So I'd hit the bell. I'm like, why did I do that? Oh. What am I getting for that? <laughs> yep. um, and I wasn't realizing that, oh, that made more fruit appear, including the chance to get a pineapple, which is the one you really want because it's 800 points for the pineapple. Yep. And so that's basically the, the game mechanic all, all the way through the game. Except well, you can for... punch the apples. You yes. didn't mention that. Like you said, well. you can, which I think is a bad idea because, man, you press that punch button and it, you sort of go through the, the punch routine and you can't stop it and. Yeah, I tried to avoid punching as much as I could. So here's the thing, as Carrington just mentioned. What's the thing, Mike? The animations in this game are nice and smooth, and it's kind of fun to watch your kangaroo hop across the screen. However, once you start one of these other actions, you can't stop it. So if you're expecting to climb up the ladder because there's no jump button, or there's just a, a hop, or you go up the ladder if you happen to be in the right position. The button punches, but that's all there is. You push up, you either jump or climb up the ladder. And if you're... If you're slightly out of position, um, you will hop instead of climb the ladder and you will end up, the monkey's apples will hit you easily because the, the apples move very quickly across the screen and you can't stop the action as it's going on. So, and, and I found that, that pushing the, pushing up on the joystick again, hoping to catch the ladder the second time just makes it jump again. And so you're going to bounce, bounce, bounce. Yep. Um, and it can, it's very frustrating seeing your impending doom right there and not being able to do anything about it. But that is one of the challenges and it wasn't, it wasn't annoying enough to me to, to, to make me hate the game. Me neither, but I did find it annoying. I found that there were lots of little graphic glitches and mm -hmm. I kept thinking, well, maybe those are a main thing. But my memory is that they're like that when you play the game, like in an original cabinet too, that's kind of flaky. And the, so many times I would I would lose a life because my character on screen wouldn't do the thing I wanted them to do when I would press the joystick or press a button. So I would want to climb a ladder or I'd want to duck or what have you, or I'd want to jump on an angle. And it's not that I was too slow. It was that I would press and on the slightly wrong angle or something or i wouldn't be exactly lined up and then i would instead be hopping instead of climbing or, or what have you and so many many times i died and i felt that like it wasn't completely my fault which is which i prefer it should be oh i was too slow or i made the i made the wrong choice i went to climb and i shouldn't have but here frequently i died when the choice i made was the right one and i made it at the right time but it's the execution that failed and i found that that was quite frustrating so i think the controls are a little sloppy in this game. And I, I kind of really wish there was a punch or rather like a jump button rather than using the joystick to jump. This really would be a better game with a jump button, I think. But isn't being slightly out of position also your fault? No, that oh, was totally not my fault. Okay. <laughs> just, <laughs> because just I, found, I found I would be out of position, but it doesn't look like you are. I would be offset from a ladder an amount that in any other game would be perfectly fine. And even in real life, I could climb the ladder. <laughs> but here would be like, no, now we want you to be lined up slightly to the left. I'm like, oh, I shake my boxing glove fist at you, kangaroo. I, again, I didn't hate the game, but I found that I was often, it had these little frustrating moments. I found it a, a somewhat frustrating game to play. That could be supremely irritating. And when I first started playing, I, the game sort of feels slow. I mean, the, the apples that the monkeys throw at you move pretty quickly. They definitely move faster than you do, and as they should. But the kangaroo takes her time across the screen and up the ladder, and the monkeys move maybe the same speed or a little bit slower than you. Um, but I, I can't imagine how much worse 
that would be having to line up directly under the ladder if you were moving twice as fast or three times yeah, as fast. Yeah, it's a strangely difficult game for how lethargic it's it's, it's right. like you just i'm just slowly playing and yet it feels more frantic than that but when you look at it yeah it looks like it looks like an easier game than it plays i think if you're looking over someone's shoulder you'd think my goodness you're not good at this just give me those controls <laughs> but when you actually play it it's it's harder than it looks he said having excuses for his score well of course <laughs> Uh, Kangaroo was released in 1982, but I found that when I was playing it, I thought that it was a much older game than that. Um, because as you said, Carrington, there were some graphical glitches. There were not very many colors. A lot of the, it's just yellow, green, brown, white, and then the pink for the monkeys. And you know, that's kind of really it. There's a little purple here and there. And the top of the screen has sort of that, that the the high scoreboard that a lot of the older games do where you have player one on the left with five or six zeros under it, player two on the right with five or six zeros under it, and then like the level um level number in the middle with how many how many lives you have left. Um, My problem was to be honest with the colors was the brown, which is totally appropriate because the brown is used for the trees and the tree trunks and the branches, and that's the color of them in real life. I've I actually have seen trees. I might live in the city, but I've actually seen some, and they did have brown <laughs> on them. But even though it's accurate, I guess I found it kind of a dull, muddy color to use in a video game. So it's I, I would have preferred something a little more vibrant. Maybe not make them bright blue, but maybe they could have been a different sort of tree. Like that was like I don't know, like birch. Then you get a white tree or something. I found that because of that, there was a, a large sort of frame to the monitor that was in a, a a dull sort of muddy brown. And and you'd hope that that would mean the main characters and the monkeys and the apples would therefore pop, and they do because they're they're brighter. But it did make the overall game feel a little more muted than i would have preferred i mean it's real i'm I'm picking nits here but i, I wasn't a fan of the brown i find that i agree with you carrington what um, is up with that mike i know it's strange right then i clearly am um, talking smack i would have minded the brown less if the pink monkeys weren't climbing down them the pink against the brown just seems sort of weird and then yeah your character is sort of this yellow color which doesn't i mean all the colors kind of clashed and not in a good way and if you're willing to make the monkeys pink you don't have to stick with muddy brown. Right. I mean, we, we've already accepted that we're not going for real world colors here. Right. Um, the music, on the other hand, I really enjoyed. Uh, it used Very a, much so, yeah. It used a lot of the, the public domain um, back, uh, tunes. Old as, Susanna. Right. Old Susanna. And there was one called American Patrol by F.W. Meekham. I don't know um, that, but I recognize the music in the game. Like yeah. whenever they played a little tune, I'd be like, oh, I know that. Yeah, and it um, was nice and clear and bright, and I mm-hmm. liked the sound. The sound is really good in this game. Yep. The the effects are not overwhelming, and they're not so busy that you can't figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, good choices there. And that's pretty much what there is to the gameplay. It's, you know, like we said, it's surprisingly hard because it feels like kind of a slow game where, oh, you just... Jump over the apple, punch the monkey, move up. How yeah. hard can this be? And, and but it's the it's, same thing if you look at a Donkey Kong game. That looks very simple. Like you're just running. You're, the barrels aren't coming that quickly. You just jump over them. What's the big deal? But in in actual execution, when you're the one playing it, and it comes down to that timing, it, and it can wear you down. It can get more difficult. Same thing here. And and the combination of the the throwing elements, basically from Popeye, where you have to either punch them or duck them or jump over them, what have you, and the platform climbing from from Donkey Kong makes for for a relatively difficult game. Uh, <clears throat> again, excusing my score. <laughs> we keep saying how hard this game is. Are you just prepping us for a huge disappointment here? 
<laughs> for a two-digit score. Jeez. Oh, One thing I did like about this game, we haven't mentioned it, and I don't, don't think it's come up in any game we've played so far. So here we are in episode 70-something. And I think this is the first time since Puyan, so very few of these, where we've had a female hero. Hmm. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, and so and it's clearly female because when the kangaroo, which is re- and I like that the kangaroo is relatively genderless. Like, well, in that it's not the um, what's that thing that An- Anita Sekirzian? She does the feminist frequency series that was kicked off in on uh, YouTube, and she does the tropes versus women. I think they're called really good series of videos, and she has one called the Ms. the Ms. Male Character Trope. And so it's a great video about how uh, a large percentage of female characters in video games are defined by the fact that they're the female version of a male character. So you'll have a bunch of male characters and they'll be defined by a character trait. This is the fast one. This is the fire one. This is the flying one. This is the sulky one. This is the really angry one, whatever. And then this is the woman one. So she's the same as the, the, the jumping one, except we give her a bow. And so it, it, it is this weird thing. And like, and I was sort of less aware of it until I saw this video. And now I'm hyper aware of it. That the female <laughs> characters always seem to be, it's yeah. Pick one of the male characters and it has a skirt or a bow, or it'll be the pink version with no actual defining character trait. And at least here, we're not dealing with that. We're not dealing with like a Ms. Pac-Man who's defined by the fact that it's Pac-Man with a bow. Instead, we're defined. It's just the character. She, she boxes. She wants to save her, her son. And um, it's clearly female. Cause when it gets to the top, the, the Joey says, mom, so it's defined but she's not defined as just a female version of another character because we haven't had a, a a previous kangaroo game before this for it to riff on but so i'm sort of weirdly hyper aware of that trope now in video games so i'll link to the the videos in case anybody wants to look at them they're over at feministfrequency.com i just looked it up and and they're really really good so quite quite interesting stuff and i also will point out that over on gamefacts.com they have a list of the top 10 video game kangaroos and i'm not going to tell you where this this particular kangaroo comes in the list of 10, but I'll put a link in the show notes. And I can't believe they came up with 10 video game kangaroos, I, to be I, honest. I can't think of three. <laughs> how do you, I, I can think of one. We're currently playing it. I mean, how did they come up with, but they came up with 10 distinct different video game kangaroos. And then you can uh, go to our show notes and click on the link and see where this kangaroo is in the top 10. If this one is even in the top 10, who knows? I'm not going to tell you. Kangaroo features a Z80 at, 2.5 megahertz, another Z80 at 2.5 megahertz for the sound generation, a third sound or a second sound chip, the AY8910 at 1.25, a 240 by 256 pixel raster screen, vertically oriented with a 24 color palette. Carrington, tell me about the cabinet. You know, I'm surprised that you, it's got a 24 color palette. It doesn't feel like there's using 24 colors here. Uh, they may not use all of them. That's yeah, just the, the, doesn't the number it feel, of... This feels like an eight color game. Weird. Hmm. Okay. And the, but decent resolution. Anyway, just when you said that, I was like, really? Really? Okay. Uh, so I like this cabinet. I like this cabinet very much. It's got what, what am I, one of my pet peeves, peeves is the, uh, the small side art. Um, at least for the sponsor message at the beginning. You want the full side art, right? So well, I like nice full size side art, and this cabinet has it. So 
thumbs up for that. It's nice and it, to see the art on the side on the on the cabinet is in a lot of ways more colorful than even the game, which is rare. So the side art's nice, colorful yellow, and it's got the green and red, and it's got the image of the the kangaroos with the boxing glove and the monkeys and the fruit. So it's a pretty good image to capture the the theme and the characters here. Um, and it's got a pretty colorful front to it too. The bezel art has monkeys and fruit on it. Again, sticking with the theme, and it's got the the kidnapped Joey up at the top in the cage. So it's a nice sort of you get to realize what the game's about and on the bottom it's got some instructions i like the games that come with the instructions printed there because i'm terrible for not wanting to wait through the instruction screens i want to dive right in so printed instructions are good for me and it's got a little chart showing the point values for the various items so it's it's handy i like it colorful and handy and uh the control panel i dig that too it's mostly black and yellow it's got some rainbow stripes kind of to add some color and the eight-way joystick which really they call a six-way joystick because it sort of ignores the down on an angles. You're only using left, right, up, down, and up on the two angles. So they call it a six-way joystick, even though it's really an eight. Uh, it's in the middle with one button on either side. So we have a an ambidextrous ambidextrous layout. So it should make make everybody happy <laughs> whether you're right or left-handed. Now I'm going to be hyper aware of that too. And um, I like that the buttons for punching have boxing gloves, sort of the art under them, so they make it clear. I like a control panel that's laid out and is obvious. So I dig it. I dig the art and I dig the layout and and I like it very much. Um, as far as I know, it was only produced as a full-sized upright, no cocktail and no cabaret versions. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure we'll get email about this in about five minutes. Um, but mm-hmm. there were two versions of the cab. They're just technically both full-size ones. Because so, in North America, you've got one size cab. And then for Europe, it's a slightly smaller cabinet, but not hugely different. You're going from like, I think it's 180 centimeters high in North America and 172 for Europe, which is 70 inches versus 67 inches or so for Americans. <laughs> I don't know. 140 kilograms for the big one, 125 kilograms for the small one. So not a big difference. And they're both using 19 inch screens. So I kind of don't get really why games around this period started coming out in slightly smaller cabinets. It's weird that that became the, cause it's such a small difference. I don't get why that became the European size. Um, Fitz and Lori's easier or something. I don't know. So a lot of the flyers for, for kangaroo tout this as a, as a new style of European cabinet. So I think it's one of the first ones to appear in this, this style and price wise, you're looking at 200 to 400 for a decent one in working shape. Not like an amazing, perfect one. You can pay a lot more, but generally in that range, uh, lots of them, posted online in the last year for sale had been converted into multi-cades so it seems a very popular cabinet to gut and change unfortunately so it might be the case that that is the best way to get one of these is you get one and turn it back into what it was supposed to be xd guide says it's like 100 to 200 dollars something like that and so good luck with that but like i said last week xd guide is often out of out of tune with the real world as it is now so um good cabinet uh, not super collectible but i think it's a nicely done cabinet and i like the colors and stuff so i give it a thumbs up uh kangaroo was not widely ported to other systems it looks like it appeared on the atari 800 home computer and on the 2600 and 5200 consoles and that's about it i've seen it on the 2600 um and i don't think i've ever seen any other versions I, i've read a story once where i think this was originally ported to the Atari 800 400 in a version that never got released but then the Atari 5200 version got ported over to become the version for the Atari 8-bit computers 
So there's like technically two versions for the Atari 8-bits, but one was the non-released one and one is a port of the Atari 5200. I could be wrong, but that's what I think I read somewhere once. Oh, you know what else I read? What else did you read, Karen? I read something called Mastering Kangaroo by um, Owen Lismeyer. So it appeared originally in Creative Computing Video and Arcade Games magazine. There's a title for you. Volume 1, number 1. So kicking off the kicking off the uh, magazine for spring 1983 on page 19 and it has been scanned and is now hosted over on the atarimagazines.com site so I will post a link to it if anybody wants and and it gives tips on gameplay and also a walkthrough sort of a pattern you can use on each of the four stages that will get you through but it says that you have to follow the pattern exactly and if you deviate at all it, you you can't just go back to the pattern and if you die and start again the second time through a level like that the the bad guys the monkeys and stuff will do different things and go in different orders so this pattern only works if you don't die at all and you just do it execute it perfectly and if you do you can supposedly master kangaroo the way owen did i was not able to follow the patterns <laughs> Uh, Owen has an author page on AtariMagazines.com, and he wrote a number of mastering games. He's mastering Tron, mastering Robotron 2040, as well as... Kangatron. <laughs> as well as new coin-up arcade games. Um, and, cool. And the ultimate coin-up arcade machine. And brother, can you spare a token? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> and I wonder if this is the same Owen Lensmeyer that also wrote the the Apple history book, Apple Confidential. How many Owen Lindsmeyers can there be? Gotta be. They don't mention seven, <laughs> eight or nine. Yeah, my my um, guess is seven. Um, it doesn't mention on this this web page, but I imagine that's the same guy. I'm going to link to all the Owen Lindsmeyers and their private Facebook profiles and their and their home notes. phone numbers. Absolutely, right beside <laughs> yours. That's right. Um, the other thing I read, I guess, the last bit of. Uh, newsy type stuff about kangaroo. I don't know. There's a really nice blog post on a site called mtkcastlerock.com. No, dot wordpress.com. Anyways, the MTK Castle Rock blog. I have no idea the name of the person who writes this, so I don't know who she or he is, but it's a, it's a really nice blog post about buying a pair of kangaroo cabinets for the, with the goal of going for the world record. And so it's somebody who decides sort of later in life that they love kangaroo as a kid. They had just seen the King of Kong. They think, well, maybe I could do that. And then he buys or she buys one for his or her brother-in-law who was going sort of in a, in a, in a bad way, going through a bad time. I've, or maybe they bought one for themselves and then bought a second one for the brother-in-law. And it's really nice. And, and what I liked about it is nothing really comes of it. They say, and then, you know, Life gets busy and I never really went for it, but always dream of going for the for the world record. But I thought it was a nice example of another reason people buy these because we've we've linked to like and talked about, you know, Flax book about, you know, basically how to collect these things and you'll collect one and you'll get addicted and you and then somebody like him, you'll end up with a, with a shed full of 30 of them. Mm -hmm. And then there's people who collect them to, to have like home arcades or personal stuff or going to business or that one special game as a kid. And, and, and this was sort of a neat person who just sort of got a little nostalgic and didn't want to have a whole bunch of machines and just thought, I like that one and gets a kangaroo and then, then buys a second kangaroo for somebody else. And anyway, it's a good blog post. So I'll put a link in the show notes. It's a, it's a pleasant read. I liked it. A bit of trivia here. In 1984, Kangaroo, um, along with Space Ace, replaced Pitfall Harry, Frogger, and Donkey Kong Jr. as segments on CBS's Saturday Supercade cartoon lineup. 
So, Carrington, Kangaroo was a scab. I forgot all about that. We talked in an early episode or two about that CBS Saturday mm-hmm. Supercade mm-hmm. thing, and I wasn't a fan, to be honest. <laughs> but I don't remember Kangaroo. Uh, so the basic, what, what they, did they replace other characters, or was it just added in? Or Interesting. Uh, I, I say interesting, but I'm really not that interested. Okay. <laughs> to be honest. Um, after the first season, I think, um, Pitfall, Harry, Frogger, and Donkey Kong Jr. were removed, and and Kangaroo and Space Ace were given their own segments. Wow, uh, that's basic- weird. Space Ace, I guess they were thought it would be way more popular than it was. Right, yeah. Uh, the basic plot line involved Kangaroo's named Katie, who was voiced by, by Maya Martineau, Martineau. And Joey, voiced by David Mendenhall, who lived in a zoo run by the zookeeper Mr. Friendly, voiced by Arthur Berghart. And our good friends with Sidney the Squirrel. Katie and Joey would often thwart the plots of the mischievous Monkey Biz Gang, consisting of, get this, Bingo, Bango, Bongo, and Fred. I love it. I love it. Okay, I'm now, I'm now a fan. <laughs> Bingo, Bango, Bongo, and Fred. Nice. So our, our hero, Marsupial... I was going to work the word marsupial into this somehow. <laughs> you got it. You just have to. Um, is named Katie. So I wonder, is Katie the name from the arcade or was that made up for the Saturday Supercade? I found no indication that the kangaroo in the game had a name. So it's probably mm. just was made up uh, for the cartoon so that the kids would be able to better identify the characters. Yeah. But like we were saying, well, like I was saying and you were listening to, that um, it would have made more sense to try to give the character a stronger identity with a name, some character traits, because maybe it can spin off into a franchise or into, in this case, oh, I guess it didn't keep it from being (laughs) a cartoon. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, Well, you may not know what you're talking about, Carrington, but it sounds like you didn't get a good score either. (laughs) It does. It sounds exactly (laughs) like that. So... I will admit, I'll go first, and so then you can trump me. It'll be easy. There are four, we've talked about how there are four stages, and how I think they're out of order. And maybe that's because I mostly died on level three. But I did make it to level four, so I, I did see all the stages, but I never made it past that level four to go back to level one. And frankly, I rarely made it to level four. This game's hard. So the best score I got on level four was uh, 12,600. So one, two, six, zero, zero is as good as I got, alas. How'd you do, Mike? I made it through all four boards, I think, four or five times. Oh, four or five uh, times best, around? Yeah, um, on my best game. And that that, uh, that scored me uh, 86,800 points. I'm so bad. Everybody, if it was just me on this show, if this was carrington's podcast you'd all have free pop mike has kept you from pop <laughs> so, blame me. Yeah, that's right. blame my mike. Fault. if you're you're thinking i'm listening to this podcast it's i'm so thirsty i'm so parched mike has stopped you from a cool refreshment with his massive score holy cow dude you destroyed me this week nicely and, done 
Carrington will also be posting my cell phone and home home address on the on on Absolutely. our page, so that you can come visit me and thank me for not for not getting your. Mike will give you a pop. <laughs> no, he won't. <laughs> wow, you you totally destroyed four or five times around. Ah, uh, yeah, I never even got through once. I I remember when I actually visited the Underground Retrocade is the last time I played Kangaroo because they have one there or they had one at the time, presumably still do. And I played it a couple of times and it reminded me how bad I am at this game. Mm-hmm. And I did worse when I was there. I don't think I got off level two, but I said, I'm going back and playing something I'm better at. So just, it's just not my game. There's something about the particular controls. It's always doing stuff I don't want it to do. Somehow this is your fault. I don't know. I want to pop. Of course, it's always my fault. <laughs> uh, I found I found that I did my best when I concentrated on lining myself self up for uh, the jumps and the punches, or getting over or getting up the ladder, and not worrying so much um, uh, about oh god, there's there's a monkey coming, or I got to get to the top before the bonus runs out, or anything like that. Uh, because as well, I just like as, the idea of you're like oh my god, there's a monkey coming. <laughs> just like it's a familiar <laughs> feeling. Oh god, there's a monkey coming <laughs> again. Uh, yeah, the well, we talked about once you start an animation, you start an action. It's got a, they tend to have drawn out animations, and and you can't get out of it. I mean, once it's, mm-hmm. once it's going, it's going, and and if the apple's coming in, you're dead. So it's all about planning that out. Uh, the Champau lists the world's record high score. Uh, there there are two different variations listed. Um, the first is the points marathon, um, which uh, was was set by David Kirk. And he scored 921,800 points. My goodness. And just the standard points uh, settings, I guess that's different for this game. Uh, Ricardo Moretti scored 299,900 points. Still impressive. Uh, absolutely. Better than you. That, that's kind of an interesting number, 299,900. I wonder if that's where it stops or if there's a kill screen or something. <laughs> like if you're asking me. <laughs> I remind you, stage four. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Carrington. Oh, oh, Carrington, indeed. Oh, Susanna and oh, Carrington. <laughs> well, I'm going to do better next week, though. Next, next week, I'm going to kick butt. You think so, huh? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't even know what the game is yet, but once I hear it, I'm going to get a free half an hour, and I'm going to kick butt. Well, you can listen to it right now. And that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. Oh, I'm going to miss us. I'm going to go laugh at your score. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Watch out, Mike. There's a monkey coming. (laughs) It's going to get you.